We are in Luke chapter 12 today, still in Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you've been with us last week, the week before, uh, we're seeing Jesus teach to a group of people. Um, today is really a part two to last week. So if you're with us last week, Jesus taught on the topic of money. Uh, today is kind of a, a parallel, maybe even joined topic, which is the topic of anxiety. Both money and anxiety, major uh, influences, major challenges in our culture, and Jesus speaks to each one. Now, anxiety, uh, we know is, is always a problem, but especially these days, it's, it's certainly an issue. During COVID, anyone measuring levels of anxiety in our culture have said that things have gone way up. Uh, worry has skyrocketed. Uh, anxiety has gone up. In fact, I was reading this BBC article uh, about a, a dream researcher who asked people to just report, just share uh, the things that uh, they've been dreaming during COVID. And you probably will be surprised to find out that many people report that their dreams have a lot more threatening situations. So some of the ones that were reported uh, was like of someone walking on the beach, but the, the ocean is full of sharks or being in prison. Uh, with insects attacking them or not being able to breathe or for the younger ones who responded, they had these, these dreams of having surprise math tests all over their house, which they were probably inside their house during the lockdown and doing it. So um, not surprisingly, the researcher said, look, this, this is evidence that people are more stressed, people are more anxious. Uh, but of course, anxiety itself is nothing new. I mean, we know that humanity has struggled with anxiety. Our text today is going to remind us of the fact that even back in the first century, anxiety was a problem. We also know that not all anxiety is the same. That there's the everyday kind of worries that we struggle a bit with, but kind of shrug off all the way to, you know, clinically diagnosed anxiety disorders that require medication, maybe hospitalization. The full spectrum is there. And the Bible acknowledges that uh, anxiety is something that human beings struggle with. That, that we deal with. Uh, the Bible also, though, makes very clear that there is a right way to understand anxiety and that there it is possible to move past it. And the way to do that has everything to do with seeing ourselves clearly, seeing God clearly, and seeing our very lives clearly. And that's really where we're going to go today, is to look at those things, to get a, greater, a better grasp of what life is really about and who God is. So the plan is, I'm going to read the bulk of our text, and then pull out two main points, okay? So I'm going to read it all to begin with and then jump around a little bit as we work through it. So I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, you can read along or just listen, uh, but afterwards I'm going to point to different verses as we go. A uh, reminder, this is Jesus speaking initially to a large group of people. Now he kind of focuses on his disciples, those who know Jesus. So it's to them and, and it's to us by extension if you're a disciple of Jesus today. Here's verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, yet, um, yet they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, two, two points to be made. The first one is this. Anxiety is a bigger problem than we realize. Anxiety is a bigger problem than we realize. Now, we know anxiety is a problem. For some of you, you may be thinking, man, Matt, you, you don't know the half of it. I struggle with anxiety a lot. Fair enough. But what we see here in the text are some characteristics of anxiety that show us the depth of the problem. The, the real issue that is at the root of our anxiety. So here's a few things that Jesus teaches us about anxiety. Number one, he says that anxiety reveals a distorted view of life, like a wrong, twisted view of life. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Uh, this kind of echoes last week. Remember last week, Jesus had a similar statement about what life is not. Uh, last week in verse 15, he said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And really, he's saying the same kind of thing here. He's saying the temporal, earthly things of life, like what you eat, like what you drink, like what you wear, that is not what life should really be about. And the reason is because these things are temporal. Just like all the crops from last week that the man wanted to gather into a storehouse to feel secure. The word last week was, look, that's not actually going to bring you security and joy. Those things are fleeting. They could be gone in a moment. Same thing with the things that we wear. The things that we eat. Our clothes wear out. Probably more than likely they're out of fashion before they wear out. But the things that we eat, I mean, our, our bellies are full for a moment and then, and then we're hungry again. What Jesus is saying, look, if, if you think that that is what life is about, you're always going to be anxious because you're always going to be worried that you don't have enough uh, of the things that are right in front of you or that they're going to be taken away. The real problem is not just you're worrying about it, but you're seeing life wrongly. You're, you're taking these temporal, superficial things in your life and you're thinking that that's what life is all about. If you see life that way, you're always going to be anxious. What you need to do is to see the bigger picture of who you are in the eyes of God and what life is really about. We're going to get there in a moment. But, but the first thing we should see, the reason that anxiety is a bigger problem than we realize, because we aren't seeing life clearly. Here's the next thing, though. The next thing he tells us is that anxiety is a liar and a thief. I take this from verses 25 and 26. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So here Jesus exposes some of the lies that we believe when we're anxious. I'm not sure about you, but uh, when I am tempted to worry, um, it kind of feels natural, doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of feel somewhat comforting to, to run over this thing that you're worried about? this potential problem in the future that you're trying to figure out and so you, you run it over your mind again and again and again. It's a little bit comforting. The idea that we have in that moment probably is somehow we're being helped 
But what Jesus is saying here is like, let's be very clear. Worry never actually adds anything good to our life. It only takes away. In fact, it steals things from our life that are actually good for us. What does it steal? Think about it. It steals our time. We spend a lot of time worrying. A lot of time thinking about things that we can't control over and over and over again. It takes that time away, doesn't give it back. It steals our rest. I mean, we spend sleepless nights worrying about things. We get up in the morning, nothing has changed. Nothing's been added to our life. All, all, that's, all that we've gotten is less sleep. We feel more tired. Worry also steals our health. It gives us ulcers. gives us high blood pressure. It gives us, um, I mean, our bodies are just all wound up so tight. We get aches and pains. None of this is, is helping us in any way. The other thing that, that worry steals is it steals our love. By that I mean, uh, I'm not sure about you, but when I'm worried, uh, I'm a lot less gracious with the people around me. I'm a lot more irritable, a lot more sharp, right? I'm, I'm, always, I'm always on edge. I'm not able to actually care for the people around me because of my worry. But the biggest thing that worry steals is our hope. Instead of being a people that can look forward to the future, knowing that God is going to bring us good things. When we worry, when we're anxious, all we can see in the future is all the bad that might happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. See, we might have this sensation of comfort, this, you know, this feeling that worry is natural or that it, it's somehow helping us. But we need to start being honest about what anxiety and worry actually do to our lives. They don't bring any good thing into our life. They only take and they take and they take until our health is gone, until our relationships are ruined and we've forgotten the hope of God. And that really brings us to the third thing, the third uh, big thing, or the third reason that anxiety is a bigger thing than we realize. And uh, that is this, anxiety is a faith issue. That the ground level issue with, with anxiety is that it's about our faith. And we see this in verses 28 and then verse 30. Jesus says at the end of verse 28, Oh, you of little faith, you who are worrying, you who are anxious, you have little faith. And then verse 30, he says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. What he's saying there is that the ungodly nations, the nations that don't believe in God, they're the ones who are anxious and worried. They're trying to get as much stuff as they can. They're always concerned they're not going to have enough. That's how they behave. But you, your father knows that you need them. That should be our disposition towards the things in our life, that we know that we have a father who is caring for us, who understands, who's going to bring good things into our life, but that's, that's not what it is. When we are anxious, we are doubting these things. In fact, the key problem of anxiety is that it is fundamentally a lack of trust in God. The big problem is not, is not just that we could get an ulcer, not just that it's foolish or that it doesn't work. The big problem with anxiety is that it's sin. That it's doubting God's goodness, doubting God's control, doubting the fact that God is actually going to take care of us and do the thing that he said he would do. Now, I think if you're anxious and you're a Christian, um, probably you would still affirm, like you'd still say, oh, of course I know God's in control. I mean, he's God. Like I believe in God. He's in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. I know that. But the thing is, when we're worrying, what we're saying is, you know, I know he's driving, but I feel like I need my hand on the wheel a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where God is taking me. 
So I need to just, I need to have my hand on the wheel. I need to have my mind and my heart thinking, going over and over again, trying to calculate all the things in the future, trying to connect all the draughts, trying to, trying to make sure that the very best thing can happen, all the things that I think will, will happen. When we think like that, we are doubting God's goodness, God's provision, that God's promises are true. At the very bottom of our soul, in that moment, we are doubting that God is actually going to take care of us. Which means one of two things. Either we've forgotten who God is, or maybe we never really understood who he is. The depth of his care, the depth of his love. Either way, the real issue, the real issue when we worry is not actually what we are worrying about. It's not actually the chaos that's out there in our life. It's not, it's not the sleepless nights. It's not uh, the knots in our stomach. The real, the real issue is, is the faith or the lack of faith that we are showing. The real issue is that if we don't get a handle on our anxiety and in our worry, that the state of our soul is in danger. Because we're turning our back on God and saying, God, I don't think you, you got this. I need to carry the burden of whatever is going on. I need to chart a way forward in my life. And that's the opposite of faith. So, in case we weren't clear, anxiety is a very big problem. A much bigger problem than we probably realize because we worry about things all the time. We don't think much of it. For those of us who are struggling with anxiety, you might know it's a big problem, but it's, it's important that we see how deep down it goes. That it really is an issue of our faith, of what we really believe about God. Now, the good news that Jesus points to is just as deep and just as big, bigger even. Here's the second point that we see in this text. We see that life with Jesus is more secure than we understand. So our anxiety is a bigger problem than we realize, but life with Jesus is more secure than we understand. So here's verse 23. Jesus says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So the question I have is, what, what does he mean by more? More how? How is, how is life more than food? What does he mean as more than clothing? Well, for the Christian, uh, life is more in all sorts of ways. More in hope. More in joy. Uh, more in glory. More in relationship. More in identity. More in security. See, Jesus remembers speaking to those people who have said, I want to follow you. I want to follow your ways. I want to trust in you. And what he's saying to them and to us is, look, look, you are part of something and someone infinitely greater than all the details of your life in front of you. What you're eating, what you're drinking. If you really understood who you were and who I am, then you would not be worried at all. To help them understand this, Jesus gives two examples. Two examples from the natural world. Uh, birds and flowers. Okay, we'll start with the birds. Verse 24, he says, Consider the ravens. Uh, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. So ravens are basically uh, big crows. We don't see a lot of them around here. They're not the most beautiful birds. They're jet black. Um, they are not, um, they're not birds that you find like on, uh, on flags or people's coat of arms, usually. I mean, there's like the Baltimore Ravens, but that's not really a point in their favor. There's Ravenclaw, I guess. It's a, you know, 
what Jesus is saying, they're not the most amazing birds and they don't work very hard. They're not, they're not birds that store. I mean, I don't know if any birds store. They're not like squirrels that store up nuts for the winter. None of this is true about them. And yet, God cares for them. God provides for them. God makes sure that they are fed. He's, he's pointing to them as a lesser example. He's saying, look, if God cares for these birds that are so low on the totem pole in terms of his creation, won't he care for you even more? That's what he says in verse 24. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And the answer to this question is a lot more. Way more. See, God made ravens, but he did not make them in his image. He did not make a plan to redeem them. He didn't write their names in the book of life. He didn't make a covenant with them. He didn't send his son to die for them. He didn't adopt them into his family. The point is, is so obvious. If God cares for birds who mean very little, how much more will he care for you? You who are chosen, you who are redeemed. And Jesus doubles down on this point now with flowers. Uh, he talks about lilies. Verse uh, 27, he says, consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So the example works the same way. The lesser thing are the flowers, the lilies. Uh, they don't last very long. We know this about flowers. Uh, even, you know, the cut flowers especially last a couple weeks, but even the ones that are planted in the garden, they don't last very long. Uh, it says in our text, they're alive today, thrown into the oven tomorrow. Also, flowers don't do very much. Even less, I would think, than the birds, right? They don't toil and spin, but, but God has made these things, these parts of his creation to be some of the most beautiful things in the natural world. They're, they're more beautiful than King Solomon in all of his robes. They're gorgeous. I mean, I mean, flowers are captivating in their beauty. And so again, the point is very clear. If God makes, makes the temporary, useless parts of his creation so beautiful, don't you think he's going to care for us? I mean, we're not temporary. We're eternal. We're destined to be in heaven with God forever. We have imperishable bodies to look forward to. See, the, the point that Jesus is making is an answer to the root issue of our anxiety. Remember, at the very bottom level, when we worry, we, we, are, we are thinking to ourselves, God doesn't care for me. And yet here, Jesus is saying to the people in front of him, look, of, of course he cares for you. If he cares for the birds and cares for the flowers, he cares for you. He certainly cares for you. But the amazing thing about us today is that we don't only have creation to look to, to be reminded of God's care for us. We have something even greater that the people standing in front of Jesus, they didn't have yet because he hadn't yet gone to the cross. And the cross is the thing which reminds us of the depth of God's love and the promise that he has made to care for us for all of eternity. And those two things, those are the things that really give us an answer to anxiety. Um, if you're someone that does struggle with anxiety, one of the really practical things that you, you should be doing is to make sure that you have the word of God um, in your mind and in your heart. Uh, so if you're in daily you know, Bible reading, you should be, that, that's really helpful. But I would also encourage you to find some passages that speak directly to issues of anxiety. 
Uh, one of them that I would recommend is Romans 8, uh, verses 31 to 39. In this passage, it talks about the love of God and in particular, how it's rooted in the cross, the power of the cross. Uh, I just want to take the first two verses just to show you how helpful it can be practically. Uh, so the first two verses say this, verse 31, Paul's writing, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see the connection he's making there. He's saying, look, if you know the cross, then you know what happened is that God sent his own son, sent Jesus down to earth to live a human life and then to be rejected, to be unjustly arrested, beaten, tortured, and then put to death on a cross. That happened because God loves us. That happened because he wanted to glorify himself, his mercy, his grace, his love. He did the most costly thing possible to show us that he loves us. What Paul is saying is, if God did that great thing, won't he also care for the little things in your life? Like, do you think that he would send Jesus to the cross to die for your sins and then drop the ball when it comes to your arthritis or your family conflict or your finances or all of the other things that we worry about? Those are real things. That, that, they're, they're not frivolous things. But what he's saying is, look, if he's done the greatest thing for us, then certainly he's going to care for us in the little things. The, the love that we can expect from God is rooted in his character. And his character is one that gives everything, that holds nothing back. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of father he is. The cross tells us once and for all that God is with us and for us. And so life with Jesus is actually far more secure than we tend to understand. We need to be reminding ourselves in those times of worry. No, let's remember, remember who God is. Remember his love for me. Remember his promise for me. That's the, the base level foundation so that we can have a life that is able to push back against the anxious, uh, worrisome thoughts. But, um, but we need more. By that I mean, this is all we need to believe. But the challenge for us is how do we actually live that out? Because... As we're going about our lives, there's all these things that come our way. Uh, circumstances that we didn't expect. Potential problems in the future. And the challenge for us is, how do we think clearly? How do I take these deep theological truths about who God is, but then live them out in a way that I'm not worried? So here's, here's one, um, one strategy you can use. This is something that I find helpful. Um, might be helpful to you. I would picture um, the plates that God has and the plate that I have. You know that expression, how big is your plate, right? Some people have big plates, some people have little plates, different things you can handle. Think of God's plate. It's a really big plate. It's like the biggest, an infinitely large plate. And think of your plate, it's, it's smaller. Uh, God has put different things on our plate than on his plate. Anxiety happens when we take something from God's plate and try to put it on our plate, something that we have no control over, we have no strength to carry. So think, for example, in a situation where there is a health concern, where you've been diagnosed with a disease, someone in your life has been diagnosed with a disease. It's very, very helpful to think to yourself, what actually is on my plate? What can I control? 
going to the doctor, I can control that. Making, making appointments, taking medication, eating well, praying regularly, all those things are on my plate. I can handle that. The healing of my body, I, that's too much for me to carry. There are many, many things that are outside of our control. If we try to carry those things and try to control them, we will be anxious. We'll be worried. We'll always be overwhelmed. But if we pray in faith, understanding, look, God, there's things that are, you control these things. They're on your plate. Then we are lifted. That burden is lifted from us. And he can do his job and, and we can do the things that he's given to us. So I want to give you an example of this. Uh, a little story that I came across that uh, I find really uh, encouraging. I hope you will as well. Uh, this is a story uh, told by Edith Schaefer. I don't know if you know Edith and Francis Schaefer. Uh, they had this, um, this kind of home in Europe uh, in the 60s and 70s called Labri. And it was a place that they started so that the young backpackers going through Europe could stop there for meals and to hear about Jesus. It was a, a very influential ministry. He wrote a lot of apologetic books. Um, uh, amazing ministry. But in the beginning, they were not sure exactly how it was going to happen. They had felt called to this ministry, called to go to Europe. They were in Switzerland, but they didn't, they didn't have a place to stay. In fact, their visas were about to expire. And they were trying to figure out, we felt you calling us here, Lord, but now we're going to have to leave the country and they didn't know what to do. They needed a permanent residence. They needed a place to call their own so they could stay. So listen to what Edith Schaefer prayed. This is her telling the story. Here's how she prayed. She prayed, Oh, Heavenly Father, if you want us to stay in Switzerland, if your word to me means staying in these mountains, then I know that you are able to find a house for us. And I know that you are able to lead me to it in the next half hour. Nothing is impossible for you, but you will have to do it. So it was the last day, obviously. They needed to find it right now. They had exhausted all of the possibilities that they could control. They'd gone, looked around, nothing, nothing, nothing. So finally she prayed and, and think about what she did. She differentiated between what was in God's control, what was in her control. She could pray, but she couldn't find them a house. So she just said, Lord, if you want us here, you got to find us a house. Within not even a half hour, within a few minutes, uh, she heard someone calling from outdoors on the street. It was the real estate agent they'd been talking to and he yelled up, have you found a place? She said, no. He said, there's a chalet up the road that's become available. They got in the car, they drove up to this mountain chalet. It was perfect. It was excellent. That, that was what they needed. Except for one thing. Uh, they didn't have any money. I'm not sure why they didn't pray for money earlier, but they realized at that moment they, they needed money. And so listen to what she prayed next. Here's what she prayed. She said, God, please show us thy will about this house by tomorrow. If we're to buy it, send us $1,000 before 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. That was when they had to close on the house. Now think about how they slept that night. I'm, I'm going to be fairly certain that they were not tossing and turning. They were not up all night, worrying, pacing. Why? Because, because Edith said very clearly, look again, Lord, this is, we can't control this. We don't have the money. If you want us here, bring us the money. If not, we'll go somewhere else. The next morning... A letter showed up from a couple that they knew had never given them money before, but in the letter was a check for $1,000. And they felt that this was not only God's call, but to this exact place and that God had provided. Now that's an amazing story. That's an encouraging story because God does answer prayer. But the cynic among us might be saying, look, Matt, 
if that's how my life went, of course I wouldn't be anxious. Like if I was just praying and then within a half hour, God would answer my prayer all the time. <laughs> of course, that's easy. But listen, do you, do you see that her peace did not rest on the answer to her prayer? Her peace and security was knowing that God was in control. If he had not found them a house, if he had not sent them money, they would not have been anxious and worried. Their faith would not be in crisis. They simply would have said, well, this is not where God wants us and gone onward until they found the place where God would provide. See, that's the mark of faith. Not that we always get exactly when we want, when we want it, but that we trust that God will bring into our lives the things that we need when we need it. That's what we see in our text, in fact. In verse 31 and 32, right at the end, um, it says, this is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Look at verses 31. Instead of worrying, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now what that means when it says um, give you the kingdom or seek the kingdom, what it means is that we, we seek to live a life that honors God. That we put Jesus at the center of our life. That instead of hoping in the circumstantial things of our life, our money, our food, our clothes, where we live, whatever it is, instead of that, we put the will of God at the center of our life. And we say, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'm going to go there. Whatever you're calling me to, I'm going to do that. Because you are my security. You are my contentment. You are my hope. I'm going to trust you with all the other things in my life. And that's really the challenge for us. In our anxiety, in our worry, do we really trust God? Do we really believe that he is actually going to bring those good things into our lives in his good timing? Now you might think that that is the end of the sermon or of Jesus's uh, talk, but it's interesting. He actually adds a couple more verses. And these verses come back to the topic of money. You see, the two are connected. And so I want to read verses 33 and 34 and then tell you the amazing part two to the Schaefer story, which I can't wait to tell you. So here's verse 33 and 34. Jesus says, to sum everything up, sell your possessions, give and give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now the big question here is, is what is Jesus saying? Is he saying for us to be faithful and peaceful, we need to sell everything? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The key here, again, is the heart. If you remember last week, the rich farmer, it wasn't wrong to be rich, it wasn't wrong to be successful. The key issue always is the heart. Was his heart caught up in his possessions? That's a problem. Is our heart caught up in the things of this world that are going to moth, that are going to rust, that are going to decay? That's a problem. That's a problem because we will never be secure. We will always be anxious. And we will never be content. Jesus is saying that when your heart treasures God above all things and seeks his kingdom, then we will be less anxious and we will be more generous because we'll see everything in our lives as gifts of God that are to be used for his kingdom. And I'm going to tell you the last bit of the uh, Schaefer story to see how this comes together, how this works. So, if you remember, they got a check for $1,000. 
Uh, with that check was a letter from a couple that they knew. The couple's name was Art and Helen. I think they're back in the States. And this is the letter that they wrote in sending them the check. Here's, here's, uh, it was um, Helen that wrote the letter. She said, Dear uh, Edith and Francis, three months ago, Art and I came into some unexpected money. We decided at first to buy a new car, but uh, then came to the conclusion that we didn't actually need a new car. Our next thought was to buy a little house that we could rent out to get some extra income. We went to look at different houses, and at one of them, I saw signs of termite damage. And I said to Art, Art, doesn't that remind you about that verse where, uh, about moth and rust destroying treasures on earth? And then I said, Art, would you be willing to take this money and invest it literally in heaven? Instead of investing in a house, would you be willing to give it all to the Lord's work somewhere? And Art thought about it, and then he said, yes, Helen, I would. She said, that was three months ago. Since then, we've been praying and asking God to show us what he wants us to do with the money. Tonight, we both felt certain that we are to send this money to you so that you can buy a house somewhere, so that you can start the ministry that God has been calling you to so that more and more young people will know about Jesus. Now, just think about what's going on there. This is what I find so fascinating. Think about that couple. They have money that they weren't expecting. Uh, weren't expected, right? It was, it, was, it was a gift. They had a couple of options. Notice that the options were not frivolous options. I mean, maybe the car one, but investing in a home, I think everyone would say, that's a good idea. It's, a good, it's not a bad thing to have a rental house, to have an extra source of income, gives you more stability, more security. But notice what they did with it. They said, we're not interested in that kind of security. What we want is to be part of what God is doing in the world. And here's the amazing thing. Even though they gave away their money and had less security from the world's point of view, they had greater peace, greater joy, greater contentment because their security wasn't actually in the things of this world. Their security was in God himself, in Jesus. And if they saw an opportunity where they could take all of that and invest it in the kingdom, their peace, their contentment, their joy increased exponentially. You see, that's the walk of faith. And that's how the, the money and anxiety are connected. Because when we see clearly who God is, he's a loving father. He wants to give us every good thing. He's already started with the cross. He's assured us life in heaven forever and promised to be with us all through the, this age and in the age to come. When we see that he's in control of all things and when we see that his desire for us is to grow in faithfulness and to have the joy of being part of what he's doing in this world, then everything in our lives we can hold it more loosely. Our homes, our cars, our money, our retirement, all of it, we see it as an opportunity to honor the Lord, to be part of what he's doing. And so that's really the challenge. I think very similar to the challenge last week, that we would look at our lives, that we would look at areas of anxiety and ask ourselves, why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? What am I not believing about God? that we would look at areas of greed and say to ourselves, why do I feel like I need this thing? Is God calling me to give it up? Where is God calling me to put him first and to be faithful and obedient, even if it's difficult? Because along the road where that leads, there's not less security, there's more. There's more contentment, more joy, more peace, even if it means that we have less of what this world has to offer. So I'm going to pray for us because to walk in that way requires uh, courage and faithfulness. 
and a real clear sense of who God is and who we are. So let me pray that for us as we close. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for these compelling, truthful words about the nature of, of our lives, the nature of who you are, how much you love us. Lord, I, it's one thing to hear them. It's even one thing to teach them, Lord. It, it's much more difficult to actually apply them. And so, Lord, I, I pray for those of us here that are struggling with anxiety, struggling with worry. Lord, I pray that, that we would be visited by the presence of your spirit, the power of your spirit, so that we might be able to, to genuinely uh, leave the things that we have no control over with you. That we would genuinely be able to, to stop the pattern of, of obsessive uh, thinking and worrying. Lord, that we would repent of those things and that we would seek to walk faithfully, trusting you with all things. And I pray again, Lord, for issues of, of materialism, uh, greed, Lord, our possessions. Lord, help us to hold them with open hands. Lord, we want most of all to put you first and to seek your kingdom. Help us to see how we can be faithful in that so that we might honor you fully, so that we might have indeed greater peace and greater joy in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.